turning to the book of Genesis at the start of the Bible. Uh, We'll be reading from chapter 6, verses 9 to 18, which is the beginning of Noah's story. Genesis 6, verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. morning church it's a great blessing to be with you all this morning um, yeah my name is Alex I'm from Grace Reform Church up in Joondalup I've been there since about 2009 and I was here geez it must be like 10 or 11 years ago so you've either forgiven me or forgotten about that trip but thanks for having me back it's a great blessing um, just quickly before the young man who was up going to Africa where's he sitting there where are you going just adventure. We're going to have the best time. We'll pray for you later on. That's going to be so good. As you can hear, my accent is very clearly Zimbabwean. Uh, some thoughts of Africa, but you're wrong. Uh, so I am from Zimbabwe. I've been in Australia since 2008, and it's a great blessing to be here and uh, yeah, to be part of the Lord's family with you all on this side of the ocean. Uh, we're looking today at the story of Noah, but we're taking from Hebrews. We read in Genesis about just a little snippet of what happened there, and I'm sure we're all familiar with that story, especially been in kids' church uh, over the years. Um, but at Grace, a few years ago, oh, weeks ago, we did a series going through Hebrews chapter 11, and just kind of working our way through the names listed there in what they call the Great Hall of Faith. As the writer of Hebrews looks back and he says, hey, look at these guys who were commended for their faith, commended for what they'd done, their lives that they'd lived. And it was such a great encouragement to go through and learn from these giants of the faith, going through and just finding such encouragement as we went through it. Um, But we want to start with the very start of Hebrews 11, just to kind of give a bit of context of what we're looking at. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 1, says to us that uh, now faith 
is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Okay, so confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So kind of this definition of faith that we're looking at is this, this confidence in something that we're hoping for and assurance of it, even though we can't see what's coming, right? But we have this confidence because of who God is. Now, if we take faith and confidence into our daily lives, and I'm not talking in a spiritual sense, just in a, a general life sense, we, we put our faith in a lot of different things and have confidence in things, sometimes misplaced, um, and I think you get a sort of distinction. Sometimes personality types are a little bit different in that as well. Um, I sort of discovered the Australian she'll be right kind of confidence in things, having been here. And uh, I must admit that's sort of that's something I related quite well with. But when I was engaged um, to my, my now wife, she, she didn't fully appreciate my confidence in things um, that she didn't quite share uh, when, when we were engaged, we were sort of, you know, planning for a wedding. It's such a big thing. It really is, is more work than I realized. And uh, we were doing all the, um, like, bridal party stuff. So I had my groomsmen, and we had, uh, look, we picked too many. That was the reality. Um, I had six groomsmen, which means that I need to organize six suits, right? Which I thought, surely it's not going to be that hard. It'll be fine. Um, but we went to the shops. So my, one of my grooms was a very organized man. He said to me, Alex, don't mess around. We do one day. We get six. We're done. Get everyone there. I said, oh, we'll see how we go. We'll be fine. And uh, I got four of the six there, but not the six. And we managed to get six suit jackets and four suit pants. But it was months till the wedding. I was like, it'll be fine, right? Surely these pants are there. So I'm just going to adjust this. It's quite, uh, it just seems to be slipping off. Give me a sec. All right, there we go. Um, so I've got, my, I've got my six jacks. I've got my four pants. Just as an aside, I didn't tell Sheena at this point that this is what was happening. She said, Alex, how's the suits going? I was it's under control. Anyway, so probably like a month out from the wedding, I thought to myself, look, I really probably should get these pants sorted. Um, so I had a look online, and would you believe it? They, um, they don't make those anymore. We had got these like clearance suits. That's why they were so cheap. Uh, so there were no pants in Perth. There were none. I was like, a little bit of a problem. I mean, it should be fine. It should be fine. But I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm sure something will happen. I mean, kind of that confidence that something would happen, but not really any action to back it up that something was going to happen. And sort of two weeks before the wedding, man, I was, now I was thinking like, listen, you've got about 10 days, this needs to happen. So I was online hunting for these pants and I found two sets, the exact right size in Brisbane, where one of my groomsmen was flying in from. Hallelujah. So the day before the wedding, he went down to the shop, bought them, Flew to Perth, and day of the wedding, he arrived with two sets of groomsmen pants. My wife's faith in me was misplaced. My faith in my groomsmen was, mis- was not. Those guys could deliver, right? And thank the Lord. Otherwise, I might not be telling this story from a perspective of a married man. It might still be a single man's story. Um, 
But I just want to say is that sometimes in life we, we, we put our confidence into, we put our trust. But when we speak of this in a, in a spiritual sense, we're not messing around. We're putting our faith in a God that we can have confidence in. We're putting our faith in a God who has delivered, who's provided for us, who's done everything. And, and this is quite a significant thing. But because even though we know who God is, it's confidence in what we hope for, but it's still assurance in something we do not see. And for a lot of us, that can be quite unsettling and quite rattling. And I think that's why the author of Hebrews has given us this wonderful list of these ancients and giving us these examples. And it's example, example, example. To say, guys, look, these are all people who've had to live through things not seeing, but yet have had confidence in God providing for them. And so today we get to look at Noah. So if you go, it's just uh, verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11. And that says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. So by faith, Noah was warned, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Now, the first thing we want to look at is, if you read the story, as we did that bit in Genesis, and we know it was there, I mean, the world was desperately wicked, okay? If you read the context of, of Genesis, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It got so bad to a point that God said, we're going to have to wipe out the planet. That is how bad things are. Now, I don't know if you sort of, if you like me and you look at the news now across the world, you think, geez, things are pretty bad. It's not at that extreme. I mean, probably is in certain parts of the world, but we still have pockets of goodness and you see the church at work and good things happening. But this world had fallen so far into wickedness that it was just the, the, the slate needed to be cleaned, right? And, and God says this. And when I read those passages, it's quite confronting. Like it is quite challenging to think, that that was what God said needed to be done because how bad must it have been, right? This incredibly wicked time. But in the midst of that, God creates a plan for salvation for the righteous. And in the same way in these days, there's wickedness all around us, but there's salvation. There's God, God is a God who gives opportunity, who wants to rescue people, who doesn't want us to be stuck in wickedness, doesn't want us to be stuck in this falling, but to, but to rescue, to redeem, to, to, to lift up, to give hope. That is the heart of the God we serve. But Noah gets this command and he has to go and build this ark, right? Noah, I love the King James, says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, or your NLV says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And as this righteous man, God looked on him with grace and with favor. And he called him and he said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want you to do so that you can save your family. And Noah begins building this ark, right? Now, we're familiar with the story, but man, it's quite a weird thing. Imagine you don't live that close to the ocean and someone says to you, well, God says, you need to build a, you need to build a boat. I'd be thinking, okay, but why? You know what I mean? Like it's quite a, it's a strange thing. And not just a, a little boat, but this massive ship. That's the command Noah gets. And when we go through the uh, sort of the ages and the times, we think it took about 120 years for Noah to build this ark. 
It's a huge project that he's working on. And he goes about it and he builds this. And it's really important um, to see the time taken on it, I think is, is not just because it was a really huge boat and they didn't have the technology that we have today, um, but it was also that in this time, Noah was witnessing to the people around and warning them. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 calls Noah a herald of righteousness, right? He speaks of this, 1 Peter speaks of this being a time of God's patience and that while Noah preached to the people around and that he was warning them, calling them to repentance, okay? This is it, he's, he's saying, guys, you need to, what we're doing is not right, we need to turn to God. And for 120 years, this is what he does. And there's other records, not in the Bible, but there's a historical document called the Sibylline Oracles. And that also describes Noah as a preacher calling people to repentance. And so whilst he's building this ark, this is what he's doing. He's saying, guys, judgment is coming. Repent. Okay? But while that ark was being prepared, only eight persons were saved. Noah and his family. So for 120 years, he builds this ark. He calls people, he calls people, he calls people. But in the end, it's only his family that gets on board. The people around must have thought Noah is absolutely crazy. Why is he building this giant ship? Some people think that there wasn't a lot of rainfall in those times. You know, the oceans went there. So you sort of think like, well, why is this guy building a a massive boat with nothing to worry about? And the people would have been mocking him, laughing at him for 120 years, each nail that he puts in, trying to witness to them, and they just reject it. Must have been devastating for him to go through, to know what's coming, to have a heart for people, but to not see them realize what's going on. And I think as we see in our culture around us today, as the world does seem to have wickedness simmering up and closer and closer to home, you do start to see more of that mocking of believers, of mocking of people doing the Lord's work, uh, not taking it seriously. I think, you know, when I speak to my parents and grandparents, their generation, they seem to be, depending where you lived in the world, like a respect for Christianity, for people in ministry, for the faith. There was sort of a bit of a, I mean, it wasn't exactly loved, but it was respected. And that seems to be long gone out the door. And people start to mock and joke and laugh at them, laugh at us. Um, when I was a, a young man, I had an encounter with some, some, some mockers, not about our faith, but just in, in general. I grew up, um, as I said, in Zimbabwe, and I had to go and do my driver's license and there, you know, like you have to do this, there's this long wait time. So in Zimbabwe, like in the cities, you go and get an appointment and it's like come back in six months or something. It's very frustrating when you're a young man and you want to drive to be told to wait six months. But you could drive just a couple of hours to a small town and you could do your test the same day. So that's kind of what we used to do is drive out to these little sort of, you know, tiny towns to do our tests. But... Uh, how they do it there is you have kind of the, the vehicle inspection department, they call it, has this yard. And the first three steps of your test are all done in this yard to save the inspector's time. They don't want to be driving out on the road and fail you. They want to kind of filter quite quickly whether or not you can drive. 
So they have three things. You've got to do a parallel park. You've got to do a, they've built a small hill. You've got to do a hill start to get up and over. And you've got to do a reverse park between these drums. And this is kind of, you just hop in the car on your own. The guy tells you go. And if you do that, then he hops in and you go on the road. But where I went to go do my test, um, at that time, sort of early 2000s, Zimbabwe's unemployment rate was very high. So you had a lot of people who had a lot of spare time on their hands. And they'd, uh, they'd put a bench under this beautiful shady tree in the inspection department. And uh, just townspeople who didn't have much to do would just come and watch people do their driver's licenses. And they would just sit. And if you made a mistake, there would be 20 or 30 men drinking beer and laughing and pointing at you. And um, it's quite off-putting. I sort of was going, the guy before me was doing his hill start, stops on the hill, handbrake on. And then, man, the poor guy, handbrake off, revs the car, didn't put it in gear. And you just hear this revving engine and this car slowly rolling backwards and this crowd of people under the tree pointing, ha, ah, look at him, what an idiot, oh, all these things. It was terrible. And so I'm sort of thinking, like, I mean, I'm a fairly confident driver. I'm doing my whole start, like, put it in gear, put it in gear, put it in gear. Not for the inspector, but for the mockers. Um, and this is kind of the thing. It's sort of, it's, it's really, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's shameful. And, and we, we look at it and we start to see in our culture people not just disrespecting faith, but actively mocking it. Um, there's a, there's a, a wickedness in that. And for Noah, it would have been quite a similar thing. Um, I want to say, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen this, this AFL thing with Essendon, and there are far wiser people than me who've given great comment on it. So I won't comment. I just want to point out one thing. Did you see they interviewed someone about it? And when uh, Andrew Thorburn stepped down from the footy club, Someone said, I can't believe he chose the church rather than the football club, that he resigned from the football club but didn't resign from the church. They were like shocked that that's what he chose. And I just thought, isn't that interesting? But there's a man whose faith says to him, I've got a choice between two. I'm gonna go with God, right? The same way for Noah, the instruction gets given to him. I want you to build this boat, I want you to do this. I want you to save your family. It's a huge job. It's going to take you 120 years. People are going to mock you, but he still did it out of obedience to God. And that is the call for us today, is are we going to be obedient to what God has called us to in times of increasing wickedness and in times where we're disrespected, where we are mocked and laughed at? Um, you can see here, this, they actually built this, I think it's in Kentucky, Right, this is like a genuine, they sort of built it by the dimensions, you can do tours of it and all this stuff. You know, Americans do their thing, quite cool. But that is kind of what the ark would have, I think they built it like to scale of what it would be. Um, so can you imagine Noah and his family, and I mean, maybe they employed some people and that was what they built, 120 years. Quite incredible, something just like that. I think up until like the 17 or 1800s, it would have been the biggest ocean going vessel that had been built, very impressive. Okay, but what we want to see is this. We see this. So, so Noah is building something because of something unseen, right? Because a storm is coming and he is preparing for the storm. A flood is coming and Noah is doing something in preparation. And so too, we as churches, this is what we do, is that we build churches, not buildings, but, but, but generations of people in the church for something not yet seen. Like why do we... 
Why do we do kids' church? It's because we want the kids to come to know God, to have a faith that they can trust and they want to understand. We're building for that. At Grace, these last few years have been, um, they've been really good to us. I think God has, has really just, you know, he's given us a, a wonderful grace. Um, but we had for many years, sort of our church vision was we want to be a healthy church. We just, we, you know, we, we do some things well, there's other things we go, but we just, we want health and we'll work on our strengths and we just we want to be healthy. And then in 2020, we, we were sort of trying to look a bit more down the track at what's coming. And we did a consult with Reach Australia who plant churches and helps, just fantastic. And they said, it's good, but you need a little bit more. So we added, we want to be a healthy and growing church. So that was this idea. We want to be growing, not just numbers, but we want our faith to be growing. We want this, not just health, because healthy things grow, right? Plants are healthy, they grow. So this is what we're thinking. And then um, a little bit after that, they changed it again. And they said, we want to be a healthy and growing church for generations. Because we looked and we saw our young people coming through, kids' church, youth kind of there, young adults, start going out the door and we think there's a generation missing. We looked at our seniors, most of our church is migrants, our seniors, there's also a gap. Part of it not helped, we don't own our building and our building is not that accessible for people in, um, who, you know, like with mobility issues or things like that. So we said, hey, we actually want to be a church that, that can be there for all generations, that's going to last generations, so that when Joe goes to be with the Lord, when I go to be with the Lord, when our new youth pastor, Christo, goes to be with the Lord. The church continues on. The kingdom keeps going. We want to build for something beyond. We have this confidence that God's people of Grace Church will still be serving the community of Joondalup or up north, wherever we are at that point, for generations. And I think there's something in that for us as believers. I was reading um, this book many years ago now, but, but What Good Is God? by Philip Yancey. And he tells a story of these missionaries that went to Afghanistan, um, which was just quite incredible. So, these young team of Americans go to Afghanistan on a mission trip. Kind of like, we used to take teams up to war, like you got your youth kids, you go on this mission trip, and they go to Afghanistan. I mean, just, I think for the, imagine being the parent signing off on your permission slip for your kid to go on mission to Afghanistan. I mean, imagine doing the child safe form for Afghanistan, right? I just, anyway, so they go through their mountain documents. These kids go off to Afghanistan and uh, they go around. I mean, you've got to be quite careful. The Taliban are still in power. They're doing um, mission quite sadly. I think it's like kids clubs and holiday programs and things. And off they go. They're serving the church or the the people, not so much the church because it's quite underground. And they're talking about this message of, of love, Right, and trying to show God's love to the people, but love is kind of the heart of it, not Jesus centrally because they can't say it. And uh, they go around and they, they sort of do a wonderful job. And, and one of the towns they go in, a leader of the city comes to them, a religious leader, and he says, man, we just, we just love what you guys are doing. We just think that this message is just so fitting for a young people of Afghanistan. Um, we wanna do this like big event in the city. We want you to share it with like a wider audience, you know, which I mean, just what an incredible thing. So off they go and uh, they organize this big event and the youth pastor leading the trip sits his team down and he says to them, this is huge, it's very exciting, but you guys need to keep control. We need to stick to the script. 
this is Afghanistan. If you go off script, if you do something there, like we're talking life in prison, we're to, you know what I mean? Like he's just, he's, he's sweating, right? But he tells the guys, stick to the script, the plan. And there's big events organized. The guys get up, they do their program, and this one youth kid, there's always one, right? One youth kid gets up. And he just says, God, we just wanted to tell you people that we are here because Jesus loves us. And we want to tell you that Jesus loves you too and things there. And while he's saying this on stage, the youth pastor, I mean, I can't imagine being in his position. I just imagine just sweat and shivers and fear. And what are you going to tell the parents? And what are you going to tell the parents? And he's just shaking and kind of doing like this from the side of the stage. Um, But the message goes down a hit. And the people are all celebrating and the message goes out and the guys are like, oh, thank you for coming to Afghanistan and sharing this. And there's this kind of mini revival. There's this, this, I guess, almost the curtains part from the darkness and light comes in just for a moment to that place. And the kids are on a high. They're super excited. The youth pastor's on a high because he can still fly home and be safe and deliver everyone back. And uh, their last couple of days, they start, they've got a little tour and they meet this older missionary who's been in Afghanistan for years. And he says to them, guys, I want you to to come with me and I want you to to take a look at this. And they drive out of town and they get to a graveyard and there's these two graves. And he says to the kids, these are the first two missionaries that came to Afghanistan 60, 70 years ago. I mean, probably 100 years ago, right? This is their graves. They didn't see a single convert Then he shows the next two. He said, these two replaced them and there's a tiny grave of the child they lost in Afghanistan as well. He said, these two followed them. They saw a handful of converts who all were martyred for their faith. And they go through the thing and they see the small row of Christians who'd served and not seen fruit and not seen fruit and and lived and died. Again, blood, sweat and tears for the people, but died. And then he says, says, "And, and here you guys come. You young Americans with your caps backwards and your shirts and your laughing jokes, and you're the ones that God is using to bring in this mini revival, this harvest, this thing. And he said, don't forget about the work that these guys did. And I would imagine that if these guys were looking down from heaven and seeing what had gone on, they would be praising God that the fruit eventually came. And sometimes as a church, we lose sight of that. I know what it's like to lead youth group and your kids are not there and they move to the bigger churches and it's really exciting and then there's some come back and some don't or your attendance has dropped or this thing there or, or kids, you know, there's, I mean, we can be honest, right? There's more girls at another church so all your boys go there and then there's more boys at that church so all the girls go there too and then someone gets married and there's a breakup and half of them leave. You know, it's, it's, it can be really discouraging but there's something to be said for just sticking it out in this confidence and this hope and knowing that the work that we do as churches and ministry is not gonna go to waste because we're doing it for God and not for ourselves and our reward is from him and not in this life. And I hear that missionary story and I just think to myself, what confidence, what faith did those guys who first went have? And I think anyone who's been on a mission trip imagines that you're the one bringing in the harvest. I think very few of us imagine ourselves as the ones carrying the pickaxe and digging the ground and digging the ground or planting the seed or watering it. We all wanna be the guys who just see revival. But we just have to be faithful with what God calls us to and building for these generations in the same way that Noah 
for 120 years just built this ark and pointed and said salvation is coming. There's a, there's a chance of salvation. Destruction's coming, but there's a thing for salvation. Destruction is coming, but let's get saved. And in the end, it was only his family that got on there. But there is a spiritual fruit, right? Which is, if you read, depending on translation, but, but it's long-suffering. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. We put it as patience, but I think long-suffering has like a richness to it. You know, patience, we sort of think like, oh, sitting in traffic and I didn't lose my cool and I had to wait, you know, 10 minutes at Mazbaz for my coffee and I was like, I was really chilled about it. But, but, but long-suffering is different. It's this thing of that even though times are difficult, we're going to be patient and suffer long through that because we have faith in what God is doing. Let's jump to the next slide. Are we wrapping up from here? But so it says there that Hebrews 11, the second part of the verse is, but by faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. The ungodly men of Noah's day had a chance to repent and to be saved as Christ preached to them spiritually through Noah. Unfortunately, they rebelled against the truth, refused the ark, and they drowned in the flood. They were condemned but Noah became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. Noah bore witness to righteousness. He pointed to it. He did this. He said, guys, in Matthew 24, it says that in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Right? That's how ignorant. Right up until the day of the flood coming. They said that they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That judgment, that condemnation came and it's devastating. But Noah became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. An heir of the righteousness that would come to him through what Jesus did. And I find it so interesting that when we read this, we speak, it says there, by faith Noah condemned the world, right? And became heir of the righteousness. This condemnation came through that flood. And then, of course, Noah and his kids would repopulate the earth. But I want to take you to the New Testament and we look at Jesus. And in a verse we all know so well, and what does it say about Jesus, right? John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17, right? Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so now we live on this side of history, on, on the side, and God has, has made a way for salvation. God has sent Jesus and said, and said he didn't come here to condemn the world. He came to offer a chance at salvation. And this is that righteousness that Noah is an heir of. This is that righteousness that we are an heir of because of what Christ has done for us. And in the midst of this increasing wickedness and the troubles of the world, this is what we get to point to. We get to say, God has made a way. Christ has come. He has died for your sins. He's gone to the cross. He's taken the punishment. There's not going to be a flood. Jesus has taken the punishment the world deserves to give you a future and a hope. And that is the God we serve. And so I just want to say that as we close this sermon, to jump to the end of Hebrews 11, and I'm sorry it's not on the screen, but it says this. It says that these guys, like Noah, were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. 
since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Speaking of Jesus. And here's your takeaway for today. Chapter 12 begins speaking about what we should do in light of what Noah and Enoch and Abraham and all the other guys there had done. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And that is our call, church. We're to fix our eyes on him, to focus on him. And we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses of Noah and Abraham and Enoch and the guys cheering us on, saying, look to Jesus. He is your hope. He is salvation. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me close in a word of prayer. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these heroes of the faith that we can look to, that we can take encouragement from, that we can be inspired by. But Lord, we can also look at the the lives that they lived, that they hoped in something not yet seen. And Father, we live our lives trusting and hoping in you, having confidence in you because of who you are and what you've done. Father, and I want to pray for Williton Church, Lord, that, that you would provide a wonderful new minister for them in due time. Lord, we pray for our denomination that we would be raising up young guys and older guys, just the leaders, Lord, people who delight in you, who serve you, who are faithful to you and to your word, who want to serve you by shepherding and loving your church. So Father, we just pray for your hand to be upon the church, upon the calling committee, that they would find such a a humble, servant-hearted leader. And Lord, I thank you from myself and from Grace Church. Father, I thank you for Williton Church who have had faith and confidence in things as yet unseen in, in the past when they planted Grace when they planted Gateway, when they planted Wilson, when they planted Forestdale, the local church. Lord, I thank you that this church has had the confidence in you to know that in taking those steps, many people would come to know you. Many people would find their spiritual, their church, their family homes, their trust in you, places to gather together and worship. And Lord, we pray for this next season for the church. They would continue to flourish to be a blessing to the local community and to the kingdom beyond father god we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your great love for us and we pray this all in jesus name amen